If you're giving, open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 16. I'm so glad that you're here. How many are happy to be in church this morning? Amen. No place I would rather be. Matthew chapter 16, continuing on in our series on the body of Christ, the church. Today I want to talk specifically about the gifts that the Lord gives us to participate in the church. But I want you to see the main text that we've been going through, Matthew chapter 16, and then look specifically at verse 17. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are who? What is his name? Come on, don't get, wait for the karaoke Bible. You should have your Bibles out in front. Remember when I shut down the karaoke Bible for a little bit? That's the reason why, okay? Because you're all counting on this. And even though it's up there, you all should be paying attention. Look again at verse 17. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are who? Peter, thank you. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or hell, will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now open up your Bibles then to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12, thinking about the church as a body. Remember Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. He's going to use people like Peter to do it, and the gates of hell will not prevail. Now listen to Paul as he describes what the church is like in comparison to a body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all of its members form how many bodies? One body. Thank you. So it is with who? Christ. Now, I want to just stop right there and get this. Everyone receive this today. So just as a body has many parts and is one, so the body of Christ has many parts and is one. So everybody just take a moment, look around at all the beautiful people, smile, smile across the sections. Don't be shy. Don't be just doing it out of your corner of your eye. Look at them, stare. It's okay. And get an idea here, right? Like the, there, there is a difference between us. No snowflake is alike and not one of us is alike. Even identical twins have differences. Each one of us is different. And God wants us to be different. I want everyone really to get this because I know I say stuff like this, but people still don't get it. And I have to repeat it. Sometimes people will think what a pastor is, is what I am in my uniqueness. So for example, I'm a very peculiar kind of pastor. I've had to stop preaching because people were clicking their pen. And I just say, brother, please stop that. And people might think to themselves, that's what a pastor is like. That's not what a pastor is like. That's just what Joe's like. I've done the same thing for people slapping on their gum, you know. And I've had to look at the one, the neighbor next to him. I'm like, you know, elbow him, man. I, I don't want to hear that when I'm preaching. And then someone might think, well, you pastors are like, no, no, that's just Joe. Joe is like that. Another thing is, like, I have an expiration date on my time to hang out with people. Even last night, I tell on myself, this is not to be rude, this is not to say I don't love people. I tell on myself, the uh, young people, the teenagers went to teen Bible quiz yesterday. They drove in the van, they did an awesome job. And uh, when they came back, parents were there waiting for them around 8 o'clock. I'm expired at 8 o'clock, okay? I'm just one of those guys. I may not seem like it, I'm a pretty cool guy, but I'm done. At eight. So I, I talk to the people, I, I greet the men. They're my friends. I love them. Somebody say he loves them. 
I don't want you to think I don't love people. I love them. But then at a, at, a, at a few moments in the conversation, I do the nice thing, and I say, well, I don't want to keep you guys, so I'm going to let you go. And then they're like, oh, no, no, we're good. We could do this all night. And it's, and it's like, no, well, I'm going to go. And I just walked with my pajamas back into my house, and then they could hang out as long as they want. Now, once again, somebody could say, oh, that's what pastors do. No, 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 that's what I do. And why is that so important? Is because people put this baggage into the ministry and think, well, I'm not like that, or I don't like that, therefore I won't do that. I don't want to be a pastor because I don't like what Joe does. Or maybe I like that and I want to do what Joe does. No, forget all of that. This has nothing to do with me being a pastor. What has to do with me being a pastor is the actual work of the ministry. Now, what will I do as a pastor that all pastors should do? Preach the word of God. Shepherd a congregation. That's what the word pastor means, shepherd. Shepherd a congregation. Teach the word. Now, in that way, pastors would be alike. And, and so I want us to get this because for some reason, even as was spoken here today in the, in the time of the word, is that when people are asking you to get involved in the ministry, asking you to get involved in the church, you're thinking they want you to be like them or do what they do exactly how they do it. Now, the flip side of this is that some pastors, some churches, some Christians don't take the time to distinguish just what I said, and they make a church, and they, and they look at it as making a bunch of little mini-me's or those little minions. Has anybody ever seen the little minions? Those little nasty yellow things, you know, they're all potty mouth and dirty and all that. I didn't even want my kids watching that. But, uh, and that's okay if you let your kids watch. I think I eventually let them watch it. As I said, as long as you know those are fools and they're stupid, okay? But, uh, you know, so the problem is the pastor then creates this, this situation. And then oftentimes people will rightly say, well, I don't fit in here. And that's true. I've been to churches where I don't fit in. Have you ever felt like that before? Just you don't fit in because everybody's being told they have to be like this. This is the way you have to be. And so, uh, you know, I guess sometimes the big word for this is idiosyncrasies. You know, uh, people will take on these traits of their pastors and leaders and then almost cultish pass them on one to another. Now, uh, of course, we're all going to have similar verbiage here. If we hang out long enough, we'll use similar words and terms. But I'm talking about uh, simply mimicking what you think of as ministry. And so then rightly so, uh, people would say, well, that's not really for me. And then a problem occurred in the church and and around the 80s, especially into the 90s and and early 2000s, called the seeker-sensitive movement. And then this was built upon the idea of, well, if we make the church like corporate America and, and find out what the people want and then serve them the product, the Christian leaders will become like the professionals, and it will be done like uh, in such a way that people will appreciate it, that we've given them what they want as customers, and they don't have to do all of the work, and then we'll just come and serve them. So, so if, for example, you know, like, like let's say, uh, you know, uh, Chick-fil-A or one of these restaurants, they start to do surveys, you know. Okay, well, how big do people want their french fries to be? Well, let's cut them this size. Uh, how big do servings need to be? Well, let's have our servings like this. How do people feel about spice? Okay, let's not make our spicy chicken too spicy. And they begin to do these things. And and the church began to do that, doing surveys in the community. Well, how long do you want a church service to be? What kind of songs do you want in church? What do you want uh, to do while you're there? How long should it be? And the problem with that is, is that it became literally like going to corporate America. I don't know if anybody's ever visited a church like that. There are positives, uh, obviously. It's not all negative. But how many have been to a place like that and you just kind of felt like it was like plastic? It was 
something that was really just putting on a show, entertainment. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? Like four of us. Okay, just track with me then. That's not church. I remember one pastor even said it like that. Like, we're not going to call on you to testify. We're not going to ask you to come to the front. Just relax, have your coffee. We'll be done in 45 minutes. That's not the way church is supposed to be. At the same time, there could have been other churches that embarrassed people putting first-time visitors on the spot. Okay, if you're a first-time visitor, stand up. Okay, would you guys all like to share something about yourselves? You know, and I've seen people do that in large settings because that was their tradition. Visitors would have to stand up in front of a few hundred people and say something. Okay, so I get there's a balance with that, but to say in the environment of the church, sit back, relax, you're not doing anything, nothing will be expected of you, that's not really a church. A church expects things of you. A church wants to be in a relationship with you. A church wants to give you opportunities to interact with the leadership. And so when you put this all together, you kind of get this idea of why we're in such a mess, like why we are the way we are. You have on one side, uh, you know, pastors and leaders saying, I just want a bunch of mini-me's, do what I do, do it the way I do it. If you don't, then you're not going to fit in here. And then you got others saying, hey, don't try to be like me. You couldn't do it anyways. We're going to be the most professional you've ever seen. So just sit back, relax, and do nothing. I don't want either one of those. I want to do exactly what God's called me to do, and I want to do it the way he's called me to do it. Amen? I just don't want to sit back and let professionals do it, and I don't want to do it the way someone else is doing it exactly. And so this is where we get this understanding. Look at it again in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with who? With Christ. So get this individuality here, get, get the uniqueness here, and then get the unity here. It's both and. It's individual. It's, it's unique. It's like your ministry, what you're called to do in this church, the job that you're going to do is going to be unique. So that should give you encouragement. You should, be, you should be encouraged by that. I told a story last week about something that discouraged me greatly. One of my, my biggest regrets in ministries, I feel like I was a weakling, a punk, a, a, a spineless pastor because uh, I, I, you know, I wanted to agree with my pastor as I was working for another church, and I didn't want to cause any problems. And I know some of you look at me as a strong voice and all of that, but I've always submitted to leadership, okay? Like, I'm the first one to say yes, sir, no, sir, to a police officer. You know, I'm the first one to go go along with that because I just, I don't know, since I became a Christian, God delivered me greatly from the spirit of rebellion. I'm not saying I won't argue and debate at times with leaders. I'm just saying like after I've learned that lesson early on, I'm very much willing to comply and go forward with things with people that are in trusted positions, okay? And I told this story last week, but it's good to repeat. And that is I was in a meeting where my pastor was closing down all the Bible studies in the church because he didn't think any of them were qualified. And one of them had more education than him, had a master's degree, and was the principal of a Christian school. And this man came to me brokenhearted. I mean, what is the pastor telling me? Like, he came and met with me on the side. Like, why did your pastor, our pastor, tell me I'm not called to lead a Bible study? I, you know, because this was the kind of church that would receive pastors every two to five years, you know, so he was already approved by his previous pastor. And I know that this can, you know, backfire because somebody now may say to me, well, Joe, you said I wasn't qualified. I would hope that I would have good reasons, like maybe because you're still sleeping with your girlfriend or smoking pot, you know, like this dude was living like a Christian and he was going to church and he was an outstanding Christian example, okay? You don't become a principal of a Christian school without a Christian testimony and the ability to teach.
And so what I said to him, you know, out of respect for my pastor at that time was, well, this is our pastor. This is what we do. We trust him. And I just wish I would have said more, okay? I just wish I would have said more. I wish I would have said, we need to go back to the pastor and talk, you know? We need, we need, to, we need to understand what does he think is it to be qualified? What does that mean? And then I just, you know, I only worked there for about nine months. But then I remember over certain periods of time, he would say that to me, and I never did get a clear answer. I wish I would have asked him, you know, what, what are you looking for in a Bible teacher if it's not a committed Christian? with a degree. And then at the same time, I've been to churches where people have been leading Bible studies, and I'm like, why are you leading this? You're not living right. That's most important to me. And you obviously don't know the Bible. No one has trained you. You're just taking the Bible like it's a story and then asking people around, what do you think about it? And remember last week I said, do you want your pilot to learn how to fly planes that way? So the main pilot has flown the plane. Now he looks to the other guy. Okay, you take over and tell me what you think about these buttons. Well, I think this button should do this. And then the plane starts crashing. You know, No, no. You know, because we all know that's like you don't operate like that. You don't operate machines based on your feelings. You don't go to your job based on your feelings. There's, there's a protocol. So once again, it's a both and. It's, it's not, uh, you know, shutting down people, making the standard so unreachable that only the pastor can do it. And, I, and honestly, as I, as I talk through this with you, he was just a traditional pastor that wanted to do all the talking. And, and that's okay. But just let people know that. Don't tell them that they're not called to be a Bible study leader. Just say, I feel God's called me to be the preacher and teacher, and we'll come to church on Sunday, be taught, and Wednesdays and Sunday night. And that would have been it. And even thinking about this now, there's a new uh, church coming out uh, in another part of the country, and I was watching him, and he was doing his pre-launch services. That's what you do before you go to the, you know, the big show and start having the full thing. So he was doing it as an informational meeting. And he said the same thing, but he did it right off the beginning. He said, many of you are asking if our church is going to have home Bible studies and life groups. He said, no, we're not going to do that. I'm the preacher. God's called me to do that. If I do a good job, you won't need anything else. Stay busy for Jesus that way. Now, you might think that that pastor's in pride or whatever, and that's between him and the Lord. I'm not going to judge him for that because it's an actuality. There is no right way or wrong way to have Bible studies, okay? Uh, he wasn't forbidding others to have them. He was just saying, we're not going to organize them. We're not going to do them. I'm going to preach and teach whenever you hear me. That's your Bible study. And how many know God can use that, okay? But he was honest with them. He, he didn't then say, I'm going to disqualify those of you who want to do that. I'm not going to try to make myself better by putting you down. And so what I will try to do in this church, by God's grace, is see everybody's gift. From the moment we started this church, my heart was always, how do I do this together? Because it's always better together. Can I hear an amen? It was never like, how can I get you to come to my big show on Sundays and you just be my fans and supporters and amen crowd? No, it was like, how do we get out and do this together? And so those of you who have been around the church for a while, you can attest to this, that uh, not only have I gone out of my way to do this, that I've been some of your biggest fans and support. You know, I, I come to your ministries. I come to your events. I support what you do. I, I put finances behind it. Not only are we not, as, as one person said, tolerating you, I'm accelerating you. You just don't want to go to a place where they tolerate you. You want to go to a place where they accelerate you. So if you're in this church and you're saying, well, there's a missing piece. There's a missing piece to this church. Well, amen, you're actually fulfilling the scripture. You're the part to fill it then. 
Well, pastor, you know, I have a call on my life to reach the nursing homes. When I was a part of another church or a a, a part of a certain ministry, we used to do that all the time. And I want to do that. And I notice here at Metro Praise International, we don't reach the people in the nursing home. Amen. You do that. Let's equip you to do that. And, and, and all the equipping for all the spiritual gifts is the same thing. Go through our discipleship and become an elder or a deacon. Once you become an approved leader in this church, you get the keys. You get the ability to marry, bury, and baptize, to start ministries. I mean, we're there for you. We've had our deacons and elders do weddings and baptisms. Why? Because we believe the body of Christ is not a place separated by a stage or what we would call the clergy collar. This doesn't separate us. I mean, honestly, does it look like I'm any different than you? (laughs) Sometimes people even look at our online um, presence, and they're like, why is this guy wearing a hoodie preaching so much like that? Because they think of someone who preaches like me to dress differently than me. Even still to this day, they still think Pentecostal preachers are only going to dress up. Those of you who love dressing up, that's awesome. That is good for you. For me, dressing up is not fun. Wearing a hoodie is fun. So you can have fun dressing up, and can I have fun wearing my Skechers and my hoodie? Amen. And then, and then here's the thing. Well, pastor, I like dressing up. Okay, well, then do that and invite more people who to, to dress up with you, right? Uh, because what you'll do is attract people to yourself. And you'll begin to see, like, for the most part, everybody gives each other grace and space when you're in a church like that. In other words, I'm not asking you to dress down. You're not asking me to dress up. Let's both dress appropriately and have a great time in church. When I think about each one of you here today, this is a privilege. In this room right now, this is a privilege. This is an honor for me. I I don't take this lightly. That this would, I mean, this would be amazing if uh, we all decided today we were going to now clean up the garbage at Lake Michigan. I mean, the people who want to do that, if they had this many people show up, they would be happy. How many? That's a good day. How many know for any store, any business, if we had this many employees, that's a great day. Can I hear an amen to that? Any political movement wanting to go out and hand out flyers or go, uh, you know, beat the bushes and get the word out. This is, this is a good turnout at a city hall meeting. This is good. And this is, a, you know, one of our two services. Okay, but here's the thing. You can't just hear what I'm saying. Now you have to do it. And, and if you can find your gift and the joy of doing it, we will work together and enjoy the process. In other words, you will not feel doing ministry, serving the Lord in ministry is a burden. Today is November 5th, 2023. By God's grace, I gave my heart to Jesus November 5th, 1995. That's 28 years of serving Jesus. All glory to God. Amen. I didn't save myself. We give that to you, Jesus. Amen. And within a few months, I was doing ministry. So now I can say by God's grace, 28 years, 28 years. I've seen it all. You know, I've seen people come. I've seen them go. I've seen big. I've seen little. I've seen what you thought would work out. They blow in, blow up, blow out. I have seen the ones that you would think would never do anything great, but they are like the turtle in the race, and they stay focused, and they're doing amazing things for God. I've done this long enough now to know that there's nothing in my natural ability, though I have natural abilities, and and all of us do. I've done this long enough, though, to know there's nothing in my natural ability to do good ministry, to promote it faster, 
and to grow it bigger. In other words, I'm a great speaker. I could speak all day long. I could have five services a week, but that will not produce more people in this church wanting to love Jesus. It would just probably burn out the ones that I have. Now, if God asked me to do it for five days, hey, guys, we're going to want a five-day revival. I'm going to teach you these things, and, and maybe you show up and do that. Hey, God can use that. The same thing is with evangelism, going out and spreading the word. I don't know how many flyers we've given to a Chicago, but we've got to be close to a million. I mean, how many know we hand out some flyers in this church? And every week there's people here because of that, and I meet them all the time. And now we're also on Instagram and Facebook and these different platforms. But there's nothing there as like some secret sauce or some secret code to success that's going to make us grow faster. What I've realized is even through our biggest events, like when I've paid for a radio advertisement or went in magazines or paid a lot of money online, is what you'll see is a large group of people, more than what you would average on a, on a day of visitors. Uh, you know, most of the time, 10%. So if you have 100 here, maybe 10 people could be visiting for their first or second time, you know. Uh, it, you'll see more than that. You'll see 20, 30% show up. Well, then what will happen is because in an advertisement, I can't tell them how serious we are about God. They'll learn about how serious we are about God, and we'll offend about 99% of those new people. And then you get back to that 1%. That would just be normal coming on a day because they're visiting, right? So that's that's why, just personally, I don't put so much money in those things because I see the attrition rate, the dropout rate is so high. I would rather us just grow the church organically. Somebody say organically. Amen. Through our ministries, through what God is doing, and then it's going to be more helpful because more than likely those people will already understand the vibe or the way we do Christianity because they already know you. So if they know you and they've come to the church, then they're going to understand me. Now, sometimes you may have to prep your friends before they come to a church like this. Hey, it's going to be wild, okay? It's going to be kind of wild. There's going to be some singing and jumping and dancing, and then there's going to be prophetic words. Let me explain that to you. People are going to hear from God on behalf of the congregation, and then our pastor's going to come up, hoop and holler a whole bunch, maybe tell you some jokes, but then for sure you'll know whether or not you're going to heaven or hell. You know, don't let the jokes fool you. He will still tell you heaven or hell is at stake, you know? So I don't know how you prep your friends, but in some way it's better I'm not saying that I'm going to uh, condemn one or not use one. I'm still going to advertise. Every one of our message clips, if you have a Facebook, is put advertisement behind it. Everything that Juan does for us on Instagram and YouTube, it is with the intent to get the word out. All of our flyers are meant to be catchy and excellent. Uh, you know, our signs and all of that. We keep this church in good shape. Can I hear an amen? So we do want to be presentable. But at the end of the day, it's what you and I do together that is going to grow the church. So look at verse 13. We were all baptized by one spirit, talking to the Christian church here, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles. Now it's a big deal back then, whether or not you were a Jew, if you could be a Christian, a Christ follower, a follower of the Messiah. And Paul is saying both Jews and Gentiles can do this, slave or free. So no matter where your status is, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Somebody say many. Thank you. Now, notice how he gives us the example. Good preaching here. Verse 15. Now, if the foot was to say, because I am not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. How many know where Paul is going here? If a foot goes, I'm not a hand, I don't belong here, that doesn't change the body still needing a foot. Now, notice it. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. 
If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God, somebody say God. Thank you. God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but how many bodies? One body. Now let's go to our chart that we brought up last week, please. And if you did your homework, you looked this over and began to pray this week. Because I don't want to be discouraged, which most of the time I am when I ask this question. I'm not going to ask how many of you did your homework. I'm not going to ask that because I've done that before and it just discourages me. But if you did do it, thank you. You are the best. And if I had gift cards, normally when I ask that question, there's a few that did the homework. I give them gift cards, but I don't have any on me right now. But hear my heart with this. I hope you take this serious. Because this is not a Sunday morning message only. This is your life. This is your life. And it's on our notes as well. Some of you could take pictures, obviously, but it's on our notes. It's on the app we just discussed. Brothers or sisters, this is what God wants you to do. I can't discover this for you. Now, sometimes it's in, in the church, Christians will help you in this way. Bible says when Paul laid hands on Timothy, there was an impartation of gifts. Trust me, that can happen. So you need to be ready for God to do something in your life with the leaders or trusted people around you. But for the most part, on average, all of these gifts are going to be locked up in the treasury of heaven waiting for you to go on a treasure chest hunt to unlock them. They're not going to come down and hit you on the head. Matter of fact, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, please. Verse 1. Notice how the Bible speaks about this. The Bible says, when it comes to spiritual gifts, eagerly desire them. Notice this. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Wow, you mean the thing that we were doing in between the gap of the worship to the announcements, that kind of moment there where we let people sing a song from their own heart or give us a word, and it seems strange in a church to do that? You mean you're actually supposed to pray for you to have that gift? Yes. And not just that gift, you and I are to pray for all the spiritual gifts. So going back to that chart, think about it. When was the last time you prayed for these? When was the last time you said, Lord, give me a message of wisdom? When was the last time you said, Lord, give me the gift of encouragement? God, I see what these evangelists are doing, make me one. Or I see what these pastors do, make me one. Go back to my original examples at the beginning, because now you're going to see the connection here. Is one of the reasons why you don't do this is because you've met somebody that was a weirdie at this, and now you don't want to be like them? You met somebody that you just didn't like that was a pastor, that wasn't an evangelist, and that put a bad taste in your mouth, now you don't want to be one? Remember, that had nothing to do with the ministry gift. No more than me saying I'm out at 8 o'clock has to do with the pastor gift. I'm still a great pastor even if I don't like hanging out past 8 o'clock. That has nothing to do with pastoring. That's just my personality. You want to hang out at 7, 8 o'clock in the morning, I'm your guy. And then even then, I have about an hour expiration date of hanging out with you, talking to you about the same thing over and over again. I get bored after a while. It's not that I don't like counseling. It's like I like to do things. I'm a typical guy that likes activity. So if you like activities, like you want to go swimming, you want to go do this or a rock climb or something, damn, we could talk about Jesus all day. You want me just to go on a treasure chest hunt with you to find out the four horsemen of the apocalypse and do that across the table, I'm going to get bored after a certain time because I've done that a thousand times again and again and again. Is everybody tracking with me? 
But if you want to learn about God by hanging out with my family, or if you want to learn about God by going on a 20-mile bike ride and try to keep up, we'll learn about God real quick on that, right? Have you calling on his name? Oh, Jesus, help my pastor slow down. I want to tell a story right now, but I won't. I had another young, young man try the old pastor on the bike ride. But uh, anyways, you know, I, everybody has their things. Now, I have other friends that they'll just sit and talk and talk and talk and talk. And that's just what they do. And I used to be like that in a lot of ways, but I'm not like that anymore. But once again, it has nothing to do with pastoring. And then there's others of you who say, okay, Joe, I get that. We're all unique. We're all unique. But the ones that I think of as pastors, the ones who I think who are leaders or are generous or work gifts of healing, they do it a certain way. It's this way. You know, when I think of healing, I think of Benny Hinn. And if I'm not Benny Hinn, which was like back in the 90s, taking off my jacket and blowing my hot Cheeto breath on people, then I don't know if I have the gift of healing. I don't know if I can do that because I saw Benny Hinn doing that. And it, No, no, no. It's, it, see, whoever was making everybody be like Benny Hinn was doing it wrong. Jesus didn't walk around being like a televangelist. Sometimes we think to ourselves, the modern expression of these gifts is the way it looked 2,000 years ago. And that's not true. That's why I love reminding people. Jesus ate with his hands. He used the bathroom with his hands. He's not like us. He spoke out loud in public all the time. He wasn't in buildings with microphones. So this idea that somehow you're not the picture of that because every little mini-me looks like that, like they used to say back in the day, many of you won't remember this, but some of you might, Jimmy Swagger was the biggest name in televangelism in the 80s, and he would hold his big Bible, and it would flap it like this, and then you would see all the preachers who were influenced by Jimmy Swagger, and they would be flapping their Bible like this. No, that doesn't mean that you have to flap your Bible like that. Just get up there and tell us the Word of God. There's nothing worse than a phony. Everybody wants the original. Everybody wants the actual thing that makes it special. I know sometimes, sisters, you buy the knockoff Gucci because you like it and this and that, but you know there's a difference, right? Nobody really wants the knockoff. You want the original. God made you to be unique. When you look at these, this is your job assignment, and this is your, uh, your time to express yourself. I'm going to now take on the assignment to do what I do. Watch this. I'm going to take on my assignment and explain all of these to you. How many think that's going to be fun? You might feel like you're in school for a little bit because i got a lot of explaining to do, and I love to preach, and I might want to stop at each one and preach for 10 minutes. But I'm going to do my best to give you a summary of this. We have this in our writings, and I've done sermon series on different parts of these, so we have way more depth to give you. But I just want you to get an overview. The spiritual gifts, those are the things that the Holy Spirit gives so that the body of Christ can be built up and we can use them in all different facets and all different ways, okay? So these are things that are available to every single one of us. Message of wisdom or word of wisdom is when you know something about the future and you give that to someone as a gift, as an insight. The message of knowledge or the word of knowledge is when you know something about somebody's life or their past and you encourage them with the word of the Lord by that knowledge. Distinguishing of spirits is knowing what is going on in the spiritual realm, whether it's angels or demons or someone's spirit is oppressed and you care enough about them to help them see they need deliverance and that God will set them free. The gift of faith is unique from just having faith. We're all supposed to have that. But the gift of faith will be used and operated where everything seems impossible and you yourself don't even know how you're going to make it through. 
It's like Moses facing the Egyptians and the Red Sea. There's a gift of faith to believe that this sea can part. The gift of healings, of course, we're all supposed to pray for each other to be healed, but there'll be times where you feel anointed to pray for someone to be healed, and there'll be a healing, something powerful will happen, and you're called to ask God for that gift. Miraculous powers, these are things that God will do that will be a sign and a wonder to others and even to yourself. I wonder how this happened, but God did it. But it will be a sign that God is with you, like with Moses at the Red Sea, something that can't be repeatable. It's something that where God showed up and showed off. Prophecy, where you speak on behalf of God. It doesn't have to be the way you've heard old timers do it. Oh, thus says the Lord, like God always speaks in King James. But that's okay if that's the way you've learned to do it. But the point is you're speaking something on behalf of God's word like the prophets of old because in Joel chapter 2, one of the blessings of the new covenant, somebody say new covenant, thank you, the new covenant is that we would all have the gift of the prophets to prophesy. He will pour out his spirit on sons and daughters. And then tongues and interpretation of tongues is to be able to speak in languages you have not learned, whether they be heavenly, because how many know they're not in heaven going, que onda, que paso? They're not talking in English. There's heavenly languages, the Bible says. Or in languages of men that you have not yet learned. And people have done this even like myself. When I was speaking in tongues spiritually, a language I didn't learn, someone said, you're speaking my dialect in Indian. And then they would interpret it. You see, those gifts are meant to be a part of our everyday life. There's been times that I've had the message of knowledge while I was snowboarding. I've told you that story, but it just gives you an illustration. It's not in church just when all the good music is being played and you feel the goosebumps. I was snowboarding with a guy. We had gone down the hill a few times. We were catching the chairlift together, and the Lord just dropped it in my heart. He's a police officer. Let him know you know that. Message of knowledge. But I didn't. I was scared. I was nervous. I was like, that's weird, man. This guy's going to think he's sitting down with Madam Cleo. Like, he didn't ask for this. But he began to tell me about his life. And he had a tough life as a police officer. That's why we got to pray for him. Tough life. And he was enjoying his day off because he needed it. And he told me, because I asked him what he did for a living. He said he was uh, a person who worked at schools and did, you know, different things. I think it was like a substitute teacher or something. And the Lord said, he's lying. He's a police officer. Let him know that. Now, when we came back down that next time, he got convicted, and we were coming up the, the chairlift. He said, man, I got to tell you, because I told him I was a pastor. He said, I got to tell you, man, I feel convicted. I'm not really, a, um, you know, a janitor or working as a substitute teacher in the schools. You know, I'm a police officer, and we get beat up all the time by people, so I don't want to talk about it when I'm out having fun, you know? And so I, th- I thought about that, and I said, man, it's too late now to tell him. But what if I would have told him when I had that, 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 that motivation, you know, from the Holy Spirit to do that? You see, brothers and sisters, we got to be open for that. Same thing with the gift of healings. One brother tells the story that he was at his gym where he's always at, the locker room. You know, guys are talking, and one of his good friends keels over, starts having a heart attack. But God told him to start praying for him. And that man recovered where he could have died. You're going to hear stories like that through people just like you and me who use our gifts for the Lord. But if you never seek the gifts, so just put it back up there, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verse four, uh, chapter 14, verse 1. If you're not eagerly desiring it, if you don't love people, just highlight that. Follow the way of love, please, and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. See, if you don't love people to have the gifts come through you, you're not going to do it. I was thinking to myself even in the back room today, how do I motivate you to want to do this? And it has to come through love. You have to love sick people enough that you're going to ask God for that gift of healing. Well, Joe, what if they don't get healed when I pray? Yeah, but what if they do? 
Is the what if they do worth taking it if they don't? In other words, what if you step to bat and you strike out a hundred times for healing, but one time you heal, uh, see Jesus heal? Was it worth you praying a hundred and one times? Ask that person who got healed. Certainly they're going to say it. Well, Joe, I know you've prayed for cancer people. Not many people have gotten healed. Yeah, but we've seen some. Don't you think it's worth it for the some? We'll understand it better by and by is what the old timers used to say. We'll understand how there was a gift of healing for us, but it didn't always accomplish what we thought it would. We'll understand that better, okay? And even those like Lazarus who who received a resurrection from the dead still died. It's like, you know, you can almost imagine, you know, the next time he died. Okay, let's try to see if we can raise him again. You know, Jesus had ascended to heaven, but get one of the disciples. Let's see if we can raise him again. Lazarus is going to get raised again. And then maybe they prayed and it didn't happen. Certain times Paul left people sick. One time it says he himself was sick. They had dealt with things that weren't healed instantaneously. But, but they had to believe that Jesus was the healer. He's Jehovah Rapha, our healer. Everybody else in the world doesn't care what God has to say. The doctors and all of this, and I appreciate all they do. They're doing their jobs. Let them do that, and if you want to be a part of that world, that's great. But who's going to pray for people? Who's going to say, okay, well, we've heard what the doctors say, and it's going to be two years of chemo, and and they don't even know what happens after that. Who's going to be able to say, let's pray now? Let's believe God for a miracle. Why not, brothers and sisters? We only have one life to live. Why not ask God for healing? Why not ask God for miracles? And then going back to our, our chart, please, you know, some of these things maybe you've seen done wrong. You know, maybe somebody said they had a prophetic word for you and it was goofy. I've seen that happen even here in the church. One time we had a gentleman that I respected a lot. He was giving prophetic words to people. And, uh, you know, he was in, you know, most of these get mixed together. So, like, someone will be speaking, prophesying the word of the Lord as they have knowledge of the future or knowledge of the past. It all kind of comes in a package. It's being done like that. And he said to one young lady, you know, uh, God told me you're struggling with suicide. He's going to set you free. And to the day... To this day, she still claims she never dealt with suicide. So either God was telling him something that no one else knew, including her, or he missed it. But here's the thing. It's not hard if you love your people as I do to say he probably missed it. And then I went back to him and told him that. And he said, well, he was a little bit prideful. And he's like, well, maybe she's just lying to you. And I'm like, well, at some point, you're going to have to believe people. Why do you believe them when they say you had a word, but you don't believe it when they don't have a word? You say you don't have a word. They could be lying, saying you had the word. How many know that? You could be intimidated by a preacher. You have the spirit of suicide, and you're going to be delivered. Isn't that true? Say amen, say amen, say amen. And then before you know it, they're saying amen. I got the spirit of suicide out of the fear. So come on. I mean, if you want to say they're lying, well, then they could be lying anytime. How about sometimes we miss it? How about sometimes we're just growing in the knowledge of these gifts? The moment God released these to the church, he knew the risk he was taking. He, would knew at t- he knew at time there would be granola Christians, fruits, nuts, and flakes. But he would rather have us learn how to be mature in these things than to take them away. Go all the way to the bottom of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. You, these, these are great passages, by the way, to spend time reading in. But notice this here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 where he talks about order. Verse uh, 29, two or three prophets should speak and the others should weigh carefully what it says. It doesn't say that there's only going to be a certain amount of prophets that can do this. No, whoever's called to be a prophet can speak. It's not just, well, the pastor's going to give us the word. No, if there's prophets in the house and there has to be more than two or three for him now to limit it to two or three, how many get that? If there's only two or three, then he would just say, have the two or three speak. But no, he says, when it's time, like how we did in our transition here, for people to speak on behalf of God, limit it 
to only two or three. So that means many of you should come here with words. You ever feel like, I mean, come on, let's pause here just for a second. You ever feel like throughout the week God gives you a word for the church? You ever feel like you're feeling something going on and you're like, man, I don't think this is just for me. I think this is for the whole church. Well, during that time that we give to you, look at that, man, the pastor gives you that time to share it. I know sometimes people think that pastors bully from the pulpit. Imagine how much trust I have to have in you as a church to allow you to speak up whenever you want during that time. You could say, I think Joe's a quack. He's an idiot. Now, we would at that point stop it and be like, no, he's not. You know, someone would probably say that. But maybe you might be right. Maybe, maybe the night before, I started selling my body on Belmont and Clark in homosexual prostitution to score, you know, score drugs. And you say, man, that's crazy. There was a pastor doing that. He was the leader not only of a church, but he was the leader of the evangelical movement in the United States. And he was having homosexual prostitution. His name is Ted Haggard. Look it up. I'm not making it up. It's public knowledge. So yes, if someone were to say, Joe's in sin, that would, be, that would put the fear of God in me if I was doing wrong. And then everybody else could hear it. Because look at what it says. Let two or three prophets speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is being said. And notice now how it gives you order right here. And, and by the way, let me just say this as well. Sometimes uh, maybe you have come from a more traditional church, and it looks like that's more of a church. That's how a church should look, you know. It doesn't have rafters, rafters uh, spray-painted black, you know, and, and it doesn't have a pastor in a, in, in a hoodie. It's a, a cathedral, and it's got a, a pastor wearing robes, and, and he dresses like mother, you know, but we call him father. Okay, so maybe you think, like, that's so, that's so like church. That's what church is supposed to be. Well, let me ask you a question. When have you ever seen in the Roman Catholic Church people have prophetic words? Oh, I thought they were the real church. I thought they were the apostolic church. Well, when was the last time you saw them have prophetic words? I'm asking you again, brothers and sisters. Never. Yet they claim over us this authority. We have authority. We're the true church. And yet you're not even doing the most basic things of the church. The most basic thing of the church is that the guy with the mic is not the only one talking all the time. And once again, I love my Baptist brothers and sisters. I love Moody. We pray for them. We work together with them. But sometimes we'll have Matt, uh, sassy Moody students meet us when we're street preaching, and we cut them off because we used to argue with them in front of sinners about what we were doing, believe it or not. Can I get a witness, Juan? We, you, we had to actually make a rule. We'll no longer argue with Moody students over our methods of evangelism while we're evangelizing and they're coming back from Chick-fil-A. It's like basically saying, while you're coming back from the cafeteria, we're here in the, the midst of battle. We're not going to stop and have a little uh, uh, tiddlywinks game with you. But during some of those times, I mean, they would accuse us of this and say of this because why? In their mind, church is the place that has the big pipe organs, the buildings made out of prestigious materials. All the names and titles of the people are there before. Today we have Dr. So-and-so coming to speak to us, you know, Right? Not, and these students would be arguing with me, not even knowing that I'm a doctor. Same education of, of the people that are there. And you see, what, why is that? Because they have a model of what they think church is. But then I'm telling you, ask the Moody student, how many prophetic words did you hear last Sunday? Oh, but we heard good teaching when Dr. So-and-so broke down the Greek of the text and taught us the exegetically correct homily of that passage. Okay, we agree with you there. But who had the word? Who had the prophecy? Because what it sounds like is it sounds like a foot saying, I don't need an eye. That's what it sounds like to me, doesn't it? 
Because you look at each one of these uh, Christian denominations, they've done great things. The Roman Catholics, what have they done? They've stood the test of time. They've done great charitable deeds. They've produced hospitals and orphanages and all these things, right? But then they're like the hand saying, I don't need the foot. And then you look at the Baptists and you look at this and you go, okay, well, they're great with that, but they don't have this. The, the goal is for us to have a little bit of all of it, to have the hand, to have the foot, to have the eye, to have the charitable deeds. That's why I said I want to give the Catholics a run for their money. Let's start St. Juan Hospital, amen? Let's start a hospital and name it after one of our saints here. Let's start a school, you know, St. Victor's, amen? You know, like Viatar, St. Victor's High School. Why can't we? Let's do it. And then the same thing like the Baptists. And it was funny because I, I don't know if those brothers we met the other day are Reformed Baptists, but uh, they, they are Reformed. And they, they uh, were talking to us about one of their heroes. And I said, oh, yes, that gentleman you just mentioned, Douglas Wilson, He's a Presbyterian. We have him in our staff devotions for this month. That means all of our pastoral staff are going through one of his messages. And this young man, Juan is my witness, he said back, you guys, as Pentecostals, you had one of ours speak to your staff? I'm like, yes, of course. Why wouldn't I? That would be like the tongue saying to the brain, I don't need you. Why would I say I don't need a Presbyterian? Of course I need them. But you see, what it, what, what it kind of told about him is he's saying to the Pentecostals, we don't need you. How many Pentecostals has your staff listened to this month? How many Pentecostals have you had come to your church? And thank God they had one and others. But you get the point. It's at some point we can become so sectarian in the church, it's another form of racism. Most churches today now know multicultural churches is the way to go. If you're still seeing churches having one culture, they're struggling and they know it and we need to pray for them. Because most of those pastors I talk to, they say, I don't want to keep it this way. I need, I need to open the doors to more uh, cultures I'm trying. And, that, and that's a good thing. May God do that in their hearts. But listen, we may be better than that. Like churches may be better than that. Most churches in Chicago are great in the multi-ethnic multi front. But how are they doing with the multi-revelational front of the goodness of what God is doing, what God is speaking? And then now, listen, if you were a press but had a word for us during that time, you could share it. And then what does the Bible say? Then we hear and we judge by it. Now, if you just came here to cause division, the Lord told me to tell you, Metro Praisers, baptize your babies. Infant baptism is a part of the scripture. Okay, dude, stop. You might think to yourself, well, this sounds kind of corny. Research the Azusa Street Revival. During the Azusa Street Revival, William Seymour, the leader of it, which produced over 500 million Christians today in 100 years, it is the fastest growing religious movement known to the planet, was exactly like this. William Seymour would let anyone speak and sing a song. They didn't even have a corporate start and stop time. It was just God moving, and it went on like that for two and a half years. Azusa Street Revival. So has God used it? Absolutely. Now, for our convenience, we have start and stop times. We have a place in the service that we do it. Why? Because the Bible says, for you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirit of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. So we don't want you prophesying around here. Amen? We want you prophesying. And if you feel like it's time to interrupt me while I'm speaking, I'm going to tell you that doesn't encourage us. Do it during this time. And if that's too restrictive for you, then go to a church that lets you do it however you want to do it. But God told William Seymour to do it this way. God's telling me to do it this way. But the prophets have the control of their spirit. So anyone who says, well, God just is doing this to me. One time I was in our chapel, 
In Bible college, I hadn't met this woman yet. She was from Eastern Europe. I forget what nation she was from. But the Holy Ghost would come, just like how we sense the Lord's presence in here. And she would just start shaking. And then she would start knocking over chairs, and she would fall down all by herself. And her name was Sister Switzlana. And she would be like, the Lord is telling me this, and the Lord is telling me that. And we were all cool with it. But every now and then, she would do it while a preacher was preaching. And we would say, Sister, the preacher doesn't want to hear that right now. And then she'd, you know, she'd get a little offended. She didn't stick around very long in the Bible college. Do you think the Holy Spirit would come against the speaker if he's speaking on behalf of God and God's word? No. He might interrupt if something is going wrong. He might interrupt if something needs to be corrected. But the Holy Spirit is not a God of contradiction. So God's not going to give you a word to go against your life group leader, to go against your discipler. He may give you a word to help teach them or to show them something they don't know because I don't know everything and neither do they. But it's not going to come out of confusion and disorder. Notice this. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets for God is not a God of what? Disorder, but of what? Of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. And then Paul, as I believe in this culture, restricts women because they were getting out of hand. And I shared with this uh, a few weeks ago, but that wasn't his order at every time. It was when he did it in those places, there was no other way to go. Now look at verse 36. Or did the word of God originate with you? Are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge what I'm writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they themselves will be ignored. So in other words, if you were a woman... In Corinth, at this time when Paul was having trouble and he said to be quiet, you'd have to be quiet. That's what God told him to tell you. But if you wanted to be a part of another congregation, that was up to you. And at the beginning of this book, he talked about the differences between the congregations. The one says, I'm with Apollos. One says, I'm with Peter. But we all are servants of the Lord. And so in this church, there may be unique things that we implement at certain times. So there was a time we had a children's ministry. So if you had a young child, we would say, would you please consider using the children's ministry? Then all the women got burned out from doing that, tried to recruit the men, and then the men made the decision real quick, we don't need this. <laughs> was, I'm telling you, it was the last thing before it went out is when they asked the men to get involved. The men were like, no, we ain't doing that. And then, they, and then with the women, with the women made the decision, we're not doing it anymore then. We'll have our children with us. I take care of them when they're in the movie theater. How many know you keep them for about a two-hour movie? Any of you all go to movies, okay? How many know you bring your kids? So if you could keep them in a movie, you keep them in church. Now this is the order of our church. You hear children doing their thing, amen? So somebody may not like that. Well, I want a children's ministry. Okay, let's go back to what we said at the beginning. You can start one here. Uh, we have no problem. From time to time, there's always a new deacon or a new elder or somebody that says, hey, let's start this up. And then I say, go ahead, get your volunteers. And then at this point, they don't get enough volunteers, so it doesn't get done. I'm not going to force people to do children's ministry on Sunday who don't want to do it. Does everybody get what I'm saying? So the people of our church said it's casual enough. We feel comfortable enough here to have our kids with us. We still have the room in the back when we need it. It's not, it's not a priority. And you got my wife with six kids, you got Sayinsky with four, you got the Escovals, you know, everybody got a lot of kids, you know, and they wanted to do it that way. That's fine. But you know what we do offer for the children? Wednesday nights. And that's when they do their Royal Rangers and Impact Clubs, Boy Scout, Girl Scouts for Jesus. Amen? So they have their own clubs, they have their own what you would call Sunday schools, and then as a part of that, they do their outreaches back to school, they did their Halloween party, so that's amazing. So it's something that works here. But once again, I've been to a church that their children's uh, uh, facilities are bigger than our entire building, and they have rock climbing walls for the kids. There may come a time where that's what Metro Praise has. Why not? If that's what God says to the people at that time. 
But here's the point. Where has God called you to be, and what are you doing? Going back to the list, please. Okay? So all those gifts are available to you. Have you prayed and asked God for any of them? Do you see God starting to use you in some? Are you being honed in on the ones that God's using you in? So one that I see quite frequently for me is distinguishing of spirits, casting out demons, helping people get delivered. That's one of my gifts. So I'm always very in tune to what's going on in people's spiritual lives. For someone here, it may be healing. Man, I just love praying for sick people, Pastor. And I notice we don't have a regular hospital visitation ministry. I know chaplains in the area. Pastor, can we sign up to regularly visit the hospitals and pray for people? Amen. Go and do it. You see how that works? You see how that works, brothers and sisters? Come on. Maybe somebody here, and we used to have some of these that, you know, they come and go with the people's hearts and desires. Someone might say, you know what? We need to go to the jails. We need to have a jail ministry. And we used to have one for about three years. And you may say, I want to go to the prisons. I want to work with the chaplains over there. Go and do it. What are we going to do here when we gather together? We're going to get trained up to do the things of God. You could consider this like your pep rally or the place where you get filled up to get poured out. You know, so you got one brother coming from the jail ministry, one coming from the hospital ministry, one coming from working with the children, one from being at the high schools. That's what we just spent the first part of this year with uh, Lawrence and I preaching in front of the high schools. And then you got others in the home Bible studies. And then we all come here and shout and get excited, love Jesus, get poured into, get more instruction to go back out and change the world. Amen? That's what the church looks like. And if we don't have you, we're missing you. And until God replaces you, that place is missing. So I think about this older couple that came. And it breaks my heart because they were here when we were raising money for the gospel truck. And they were generous. They were generous. They gave a lot so that we could have that gospel truck. But I heard from the leaders that they were being a little bit sassy. And sometimes older people need a little special love, okay? They've been around for a while. They've been a part of churches for a while. So I went and talked to them. They were a married couple. And I said to them, what's going on? And they said, well, I'm glad that you asked. Here's the letter. This will be our last Sunday. We just want you to know our heart. And I said, well, tell me before you leave. I want to know. I don't want to just read this letter. They said, well, we love this church. We love it. We love it. Somebody say they loved it. They loved it. They didn't regret giving a dollar. They didn't regret a moment here. They loved the church. They weren't leaving with an attitude. They said, we love this church. What did they say? They loved the church. They loved it. Okay. So I said, what is it? Where's the but? But, 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 but. And here was the but. There's too many young people. There's not enough people like us. And I said to them, you want me to start a church in a nursing home so it lasts one year? We lost all our members, folks. They're all gone now. Come on. Think about it. If God's starting a church and it's brand new, it probably needs to start with some brand new Christians and new people, right? So then I said, well, what do you mean? They said, well, we want more people our age. You know, we've been through things. I got grandkids. You know, we've been married for a while. And I said, well, here's an idea. Why don't you stay in the church and become that? Why don't you become that? Because now if you're here, the next one that comes will have you. And then you won't be alone. Do you have enough faith to go win another couple that's your age? Do you have enough faith? You see, they wanted to put it on me to try to figure out how to advertise more, to go around to the, uh, to the buffets or to those who are getting their senior discounts. You know, They wanted to leave it on me. Joe, or Joe, maybe if you dressed, they didn't say this, but I'm saying they could have been thinking this. Joe, if you just dressed up a little bit more like how Billy Graham used to and the people we used to hear preach, you know, hey, it's not my job to go reach that person that way. God, how about this? What if God brought you here to reach them? 
And that's your calling, just like my call, because I didn't get that call. You know, the calling of the Lord is like a phone call. You can't put it on somebody else. You can't say, oh, here, this is for you. No, it says it's for you. My calling is to do this. My calling is to be in front of the high schools. My calling is to go to the universities. My calling is to go to Wicker Park, to the people downtown there. That's what, I have not received a calling to go to the, uh, the Golden Corral Buffet on a Tuesday afternoon and see who's using their senior discount. Okay, because, man, my parents live in a retirement community like that. When we take our vacations, we try to avoid the, the time of when every person's going to Florida. So we go there, you know, before and after the holidays. You go to that retirement place. You go anywhere. Get your hair cut. There's 20 people in line, but they're all 60s and older, you know. You go to the restaurant. You're waiting in line. You're not used to waiting in line around here for lunch, but you go there, and they're all 60s and older. God didn't tell me to do that. Somebody say God told them, but they weren't listening. You see, I can't believe that God would have called such a precious couple here like that and not want to do that work. So they said at the end of the argument, well, even if all that is true, you want us to be trained in your discipleship program before we can do all of that. And I said, that is true. And I said, it'll probably take you, if you're a good student and you love what we're doing here, it'll probably take you about a year. And they said, well, I don't know about that. That's just too long. You know that I ended up feeling a, a need to reach out to that person a few years after they left? And I said, what church should you find? Where are you at now? And they said, oh, well, we just visit this one down the street from us. Not much going on there. Do you know that the time that they've been gone, they would have already been leaders? They would already had the church that they wanted. There would probably already be a few rows of their friends and those they've reached coming to the church. And they could have a Bible study called like the golden hour or something, you know? <laughs> The golden hour. We meet at 8 a.m. on Tuesdays, you know, and we go to the golden corral Pastor Joe talks about. We stay there till the lunch menu comes out, and that's how we spend our time. Three and four hours talking and talking. We take turns telling stories. I'm telling you, that's what my dad does. My dad not only does that, he also reaches out to other ministers, but people love using my dad in the golden hour ministries. And you know what one of the things he said we, we had to get used to, which he wasn't ready for, because how many know you're only 80 one time? It's not that he had ever been 80 before, you know. He said, we got to bury a lot of them. He said, a lot of times we have to go to their deathbeds. He said, I wasn't ready for that. But, you know, God showed me that he's faithful even to the end. He said, there was one gentleman that uh, he was in his uh, hospice care at home uh, being prepared to go, go meet the Lord. And they decided to have the Bible study there about two or three weeks in a row. How precious is that? How precious is that? Imagine that, your brothers and sisters doing that for you. And I don't say, listen, I don't say that to be mean to that couple in any way. But who are you doing that for? And who's going to do that for you now? Because now you just went to another place where nothing's expected of you. It's just the convenient place next to your house. Not really any equipping going on. No spiritual gifts probably being talked about. And now where, where are your Bible studies going to be? Where if they just would have stopped and thought about it for about 30 seconds and got the mind of the Lord, hey, I could actually be a blessing to this church. I could put my roots down here, and I could be celebrated as a pillar of the faith to these young adults. I could be a, an iguala, a grandma, a grandpa to these families, because most of the young adults that I have here, and even some of my young adults now are in their 30s, most of them didn't have Christian parents, and especially Christian grandparents. 
Wouldn't that have been special? Let's go to these last few here. Apostles, prophet, evangelist, pastors, and teachers. Once again, what do we think of apostles? Oh, it's just those 12 who got the original message. No, the Bible is clear that apostles are like missionaries. They're sent out all over the place. Barnabas is called an apostle. Andronicus and Junia in Romans chapter 16 are called apostles. The word apostle, apostilion in the Greek, means sent ones. These are our missionaries going to start churches and going to new lands to reach people, prophets, those who speak on behalf of God like those who prophesy, but their gifting is to raise up those who prophesy. So who better to learn about how prophecy works than from a prophet who has been used in that gift for quite some time? Evangelists, the same thing. All of us are called to be soul winners, but the evangelist is raising up the soul winners, teaching them through their experience. Pastors, and if you notice on the list, pastor is number four. But you go to most traditional churches, it's pastor, pastor this and pastor that. How did they get so slick and take over the other four? It's like, I want to know, where did that takeover happen? All the pastors got together. We're kicking out the apostles. We're kicking out the prophets, the evangelists. We're just going to make them travel all the time. And then the teachers, we're going to assign them to the colleges. Now you go to most churches. Who's in charge? The pastor, the pastor, the pastor, the pastor. Where's the apostles? Where's our missionaries? Where's our prophets? Where's our evangelists? Where's our teachers? Oh, they're in the Bible college. They're way over there. Come on, somebody. Of course, our apostles won't stick around for long. We understand that. But there should always be some being raised up. I believe like Lawrence and Jackie. Lawrence, would you raise your hand? He's not just a drummer. I believe he's called to be an apostle. How many want to launch him out like a catapult to reach the world? Amen? And this is the thing that bothers me all the time is that there's so much jealousy in the ministry. One doesn't accept the other one. Well, the only one apostle here, young man. God told me to start this church. You don't belong. I mean, I've, I've heard of these things. I haven't seen it personally, but I've heard of it. No, this is a great privilege because you know what Lawrence is to this church? Lawrence is to this church what I was 10, 15 years ago. So what was Joe like before he launched out and started the church? Because many of you don't realize this. I am an apostilion. I am a sent out one to hear. I am not a Chicago native. I am not someone born and raised in Chicago. I was born and raised in Indiana. I came to you via the calling of God through New Orleans. Indiana for about 18 years, New Orleans for about eight years, and then here for now about 20 years. You see, God is moving and using me as a part of his move of the Spirit. But I'm not the only one called to move and groove. And I don't want to keep all the apostles tied up here because then I'm cutting off the very gift that God gave them. Well, I don't want to lose Lawrence because Lawrence is such a blessing to the church and he plays drums. Well, then now I've just taken uh, uh, the place of God in his life. And God have mercy for pastors who do that or leaders who do that. That's why in this church, you want to not only see me as a pastor in the American culture, see me in my gifts. And the same thing is here now for you. What are your gifts? What if you're called to be the next prophet in this church or the next evangelist? Are you now thinking once again to our original example? Well, I don't do it like Billy Graham. I don't fill up stadiums, so I'm not an evangelist. Who said that's the only way to be an evangelist? What if an evangelist was like Rosa? How many know Sister Rosa in our church? I think Rosa is just as much of an evangelist as the apostle, uh, as, as rather Billy Graham was and the different ones who traveled with the apostles. Why? Because... How did Rosa come to our church? If she comes early, let me know, because I know she's coming to the second service. I'd love for her. Oh, she's sick. Lord, heal her in Jesus' name. Everybody notice this. Sister Rosa came to our church when we were renting this building with her Spanish-speaking church. 
The long story short, short is when I started this church, we didn't have enough money for a building, and I was renting a Methodist church that allowed homosexuality. And they didn't mess with us, so I was fine because I taught the truth. But then word got to them that I was preaching against homosexuality, so they kicked us out. That was it, man. Like, you have no more place to meet. Well, at that same time, I was going to local Cena Boricua there on Fullerton, which is a Christian-owned Puerto Rican restaurant. And I was hanging out with the family there. And I don't know if the restaurant's still there, but it was great Puerto Rican food at the time. And uh, as I was hanging out with them, they said, uh, what's going on? Because I would come out there once a week. And I said, well, man, I'm losing my building. I don't have a place to meet. And they said, hey, we're looking for a building. And I said, oh, tell me about your church. They said, oh, we're about 50 to 100. We're looking for a building. I said, that sounds great. I got about 10 or 15. <laughs> so let's do it together. And, then, and if, you knew, if you know anything about church planning, that's kind of the opposite way it works. Normally, it's the big gringo churches that give the Latino churches the lunchroom or the little lobby to meet in like at 3 in the afternoon, you know. But here I am the gringo, and I'm like, please take me with you, papi. You have, you have 100 people. I have nothing. Take me with you. So long story short, I said, how much money do you guys have? And this is a trust that they had in me because they knew I was a good man from meeting with them. And they'd heard me preach at another church. And they said, well, we have about 2000 a month coming in. And I said, okay, I could probably, this is God's witness. I said, I have about probably 500 I have about 500 We put our 2000 together, 2500 bro. That's how the church started. So then I started driving up and down looking for places. And then we found this place. And, and we started meeting. They took the Sunday morning. I took the Sunday evening. And things were going amazing. But... You'd have to talk to Rosa about more of the details, but they began to lose some people, lose steam, and we began to grow and keep growing. Well, I eventually came to them and I said, brothers, I need a Sunday morning now. Uh, so if it's okay with you, I will now leave the building to you. You seem to be fine enough, you know, to do everything. I noticed the numbers were going down a little bit, but I thought they were still fine, you know, because they're paying $2,000. i am paying $500. i am like, you guys seem to be fine. Uh, let us part ways here. They got offended at me. Maybe I did it the wrong way. I don't know. I still feel I did it okay. But they said, why are you leaving? What? We, we don't have the money to take it on. And I'm, I, honestly, I'm shocked at this because I'm like, it's just 500 more. That's all it was, you know, honestly. That's all I was giving at that time. And I said, okay, okay, well, what's going on? They said, well, now that you're feeling that way, we'll be the ones that leave, and then why don't you stay? Now, you want to talk about testing my faith. That's For them, it's going from 2,000 to 2,500. For me, it's going from 500 to 2,500, 2,000 extra dollars. And I'm looking at those young people at that time, and I'm like, oh, y'all need to get some jobs. We need to start tithing. Y'all better start figuring out how to get another job, because I don't have enough money for this. But I had the faith. Somebody say faith. Now, that might not have seemed like a lot, but that was a big thing for me. I was a gift of faith. Because I just in that meeting, and I wasn't even angry. I'll be honest, I wasn't angry. Just in that meeting, faith rose up. And I said, okay, that sounds like a deal. And they didn't even think I would say that. I think they were trying to mess with me. I don't know. Because they were shocked when I said, well, I'll do it. Well, lo and behold, the month came up. We didn't have any chairs. They brought their chairs. We didn't have hardly anything in the church. I mean, the whole place was empty. And I talked to those at that time, there was about 50 people, and I said to them, we need to raise right now. Somebody say right now. We need to raise right now $15,000. we got to buy all these chairs that we've been sitting on, otherwise we'll be sitting on the floor. We've got to buy the stuff for the children's ministry. we got to take care of all that. And you know what God used? God is my witness. Some of you might even remember this sister. I won't say her name because she doesn't go here anymore, but she was a dear sister. And I, see, this is where she loses her inheritance because it would be great for her to be sitting here like some of the others stuck with it. But sadly, she had lost her father and received an inheritance. 
And she said, I'm a faithful tither, Pastor. Here's a tithe. And it covered almost all of it. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Now, I'm not happy that her father died, but I'm happy that she knew the importance of supporting her church. You see, brothers and sisters, you got to be willing to do what God called you to do. And the church grew from there. And so don't just look at me as some mighty pastor, evangelist, whatever gifting you see in my life. I'm just being faithful. How about you be faithful now? Maybe God's calling you to start a Bible study in your community. Okay, let's go. Well, pastor, I don't have anybody there yet. Well, you have you. You have your family. Start. And then others might be like, well, pastor, I hear that you guys do school clubs. Let's go reach the high school that I'm at because there's nobody there. Yeah, we'll partner with you. We have, we have teenagers here that were won to the Lord from school clubs that started by people going there when there was nobody else there. And in closing, Daryl, would you come to the keys, please? Serving, encouraging, giving, leading, mercy, help, guidance. These are the things that God gives us that we oftentimes don't notice because we think they're just our natural ability. Serving is helping others. Encouraging is imparting courage to people. Giving is being generous. Leading is helping give guidance when people need it. Mercy is being there as a soft shoulder for people to cry on. Helping is lifting others up and building them up in their time of need. And guidance, like leading, is giving people the information from God's word when they need it. So everybody think about this quickly in closing today. What of these gifts has God given you? Which ones are you asking for? Which ones are you sharpening? Where are you being used right now? Because all of these are just speaking about the gift. It doesn't tell you where you're going to do the gift. My dad's a pastor. How is he a pastor? Because he leads Bible studies and he shepherds people. We have teachers in this church that may not teach in Bible college. I think they could. But we have teachers in this church that raise up our other leaders and teach them how to teach. Today's our deacons meeting, our monthly deacons meeting. There will be teachers here helping those life group leaders and, and those uh, ministry leaders do the right thing. I thank God for them. Generosity. Some of you are called to make a lot of money. And this is where the church gets in trouble. They, they try to make everybody out to be this. And they make you feel bad if you don't have it. But that's okay if not everybody's a millionaire, right? I mean, I get the perspective. We all want you blessed. But then it kind of puts on this, it puts on like this pressure. Like if you're not a millionaire, then you're not who God wants you to be. But that's not true. I look at it like this. There are some of us here that God will call to do that. But why will you do that? Are you going to be like others who start giving your money to PETA? You ever notice what rich people give their money to? Some of the most ridiculous things. Have you ever heard any of these movie stars say, I give my money to, abor uh, to end abortion or to orphanages? You never hear. Do you ever hear these rich people saying, I'm giving my money to this and that? No, it's always some cause that's some weird. It's almost like they compete with each other to who can come up with the strangest cause. Some of them are good. Don't get me wrong. Like they give to hospitals and things. But I'm telling you, I've watched enough of these America's Got Talent and these reality shows. I'm like, man, you guys just give to everything but the church. And then one person gives to the church. Notice this. They'll research that church. They'll try to expose that church. I've seen celebrities like, uh, you know, the one who, uh, who plays, um, he's in the Marvel uh, movies. He's part of the group that spy, flies the spaceship. Chris Pratt, thank you. Man, I don't know why I just went blank on that dude. Andy from Parks and Rec as well. There we go. Do you know that he's talked about his Christian affiliation and then they dox him for all the places he's named? Justin Bieber as well. Now they can't even tell you what church they go to because everybody online is going to say, well, this is an anti-homosexual church. This is a church that does this. They believe in gay conversion therapy. And it's like, this is nonsense. 
But that's what they do. But yet the rich can give to all of these LGBT pedophiling ministries. I'm not saying all LGBT are, but many of them have been, and they have no problems with the perversion that has been in the background. As a matter of fact, if you look up, I believe his name is Harvey Milk, there's actually in the homosexual movement a day to celebrate this man, and he was a known pedophile. Seriously, look it up. They have a day for this man, and he was a pedophile. Yeah, everybody will put down the church. But hear me, brothers and sisters, those of you who are called to make money and make a lot of it, don't love it. Love God more than the money. Give it away. Some of you are going to be called to be leaders here. You're going to be the ones that we go to when we have questions. I think of like John Morales. John, would you wave your hand, please? Let's give it up for this great brother and his wisdom. This brother gives us wisdom when we need it. He's a leader. He gives guidance. We send our young people there who are struggling with debt or married couples having trouble making ends meet. Why? Because he's a leader. He's a leader of leaders. Now there's others of you. Come on, let's just focus on this real quick in closing. Somebody might go, Pastor, you talked about all the ones that seem really big and cool, but I, I don't feel that. I just feel like I'm the one that always comes alongside people in church, gives them a mint, and tells, you, tells them I'm praying for them. Guess what? You're an encourager. We need you handing out mints on Sundays. We need you giving that handshake. We need you inviting people over to your house this week. You may not have a lot. That's okay. You may not be the most eloquent leader. That's okay. But you're an encourager. You're the kind of person that someone can sit on your couch and talk for two hours and feel like you've heard everything that they've had to say and you've helped change their life. Do you see how those need to complement each other? There's others that might say, you know, Pastor, I don't have that much time to give. Okay. Then you do what God's called you to do. You need to go out there and make things happen. Still give some time. I'm not going to put a requirement on it, but still give some. But there's others who would say, Pastor, you know what? I have a job. I work 9 to 5. I'm a single mom. Or I have, uh, you know, not a lot of responsibilities after that. I can bring people over. What can I do? Okay, start volunteering in the youth group. Come on, single mom. Don't just stay home and just talk about you're a single mom the whole time. Get out and do stuff. Well, I'm working. This, that. Ask God to bless your schedule with that. I think about Sister Tina. Sister Tina, where's she at? She's what? Oh, no, we got some sicky poos in the house. Isn't that something? The two people out of everybody I could have called on. It's always like that. And if at any time you have to use the bathroom, it's when I call on you too. So here's another one. We're talking about them while they're not feeling well. Hi, Tina. Maybe they're watching. Tina, Tina as a single mom, had two kids, and she had a choice. She could just work, focus on the kids, and talk about how she don't have time for anything else. Or she can make a way to give her gifts to others. And her gifts is leading and mercy and encouragement and especially serving. How many can I hear an amen who knows Sister Tina? Amen? And I don't know how she did. I'm not trying to make anybody feel condemnation who can't do what she did. I'm just using her as an example. I don't know how she did it, but she provided for her kids. She went to Bible college, got a Bible college degree. She then used that to get hired by a school and then got more uh, accolades at the school to get a higher paid position. She then eventually got married and is leading ministries all throughout this church. Home Bible study right down the road. Amen? Because she said, that's what I do. That's what I do. Somebody say, this is what I do. Amen. You're not to worry about what somebody else does. You're to figure out what you're to do. Amen. And I'm going to pray about this week to have another message on this. If it's time to move on, we'll move on. But I just feel the anointing, and I don't want to rush it. So I want to make sure that as we get ready to leave here, you take time to do this, because that's what we do in this church. We help you fulfill your calling. 
I want you, if you're called to make a lot of money, I want you to see your purpose is not funding the next veterinarian hospital, though that's fine, but you're going to do it to fund the next public school, the next private Christian school, in other words. Amen? You're going to, you're going to give it to the Lord. You, and those of you who are going to be merciful and kind, you're going to do it for Jesus. And every single one of us will be that part together. Amen. Can we stand up and give it up for Jesus today? Come on. As the band and altar workers come, if you don't know Jesus, here's a time to get to know him. We talked about it during communion, but I'll do again now. Let's pray for our brothers and sisters who may not know Jesus yet. If you're here today and you don't know him, just pray this with me. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I want to be born again. Make me a new creation. Those of us who are already Christians, would you raise up your hands with me and say, Lord, give me a place in the body.